Welcome to today's teleseminar about barefoot running, barefoot hiking, barefoot everything, and of course uh, anything you want to know about Zero Shoes, formerly known as Invisible Shoes. We are, just to, for the people who are hearing this between now and the appropriate time, we're finishing up our third anniversary sale uh, tomorrow, Sunday, December 2nd, on midnight mountain time, which means I'm going to be up late making that happen. Uh, so we are offering 20% off on everything at our store. Uh, if you want to grab a gift or grab something, now is the, definitely the time to do that. And now, uh, this is the time where we're just going to have a chat and see what comes up, uh, any questions people have or a conversation we want to have about all things barefoot. So, um, whoever wants to jump in and start, jump in and start. Well, uh, can I start then? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, um, Steve, my question is this. Um, based on last week's call, uh, I called and ordered um, a do-it-yourself kit. I got the six millimeter black uh, soles and black um, laces, and I had it sent to me here. I'm, I'm currently in Texas near San Antonio, so I had the uh, package sent here to me. Um, it arrived yesterday, and I'm hoping to pick it up today. Now, I'm not a big do-it-yourselfer. I was originally, when I was considering, I was originally going to order a pair uh, that you guys did. And I sort of am wondering now, I, obviously I know there are instructions that will come with it, and I know there's instructions on the website, but I was just wondering whether you, with all your experience, might give a, a very new beginner to do it yourself, barefoot sandals, uh, any pointers. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's really ridiculously simple. 85% of our customers buy the kit. We've had people as young as the age of five do it on their own and as old as, not, as 85. Um, I'm assuming you're somewhere in there. And just to describe the process, I mean, it's really, at its simplest level, stupidly simple. And all you do is step on the outsole, put a mark uh, just in front of the webbing between your first and second toe, like eighth of an inch in front of where the webbing is. Take the little hole punch that we have included, uh, put a magazine on the floor, throw the sandal on top of the magazine so you don't um, punch through your floor. Take the hole punch, hold it perpendicular to the ground, put it on top of the that little mark that you just made and smack it with a hammer. That's part one. Um, part two is lacing. And we've got there are a bunch of different lacing styles, but we have some really simple instructions on our website for doing a basic lacing style that once you um, do it once and kind of find what my wife likes to call the sweet spot of tying, which is just the, the tension feels just about right. It, you don't want to make these uh, uncomfortable in any way. You don't want them too tight, but you also don't want, your, want them falling off your feet. Um, some people find that immediately. Some people it takes them couple of days of tweaking until they find that. But once you do, with these slip-on, slip-off tying styles we have, uh, then you can just literally just pull the heel strap off your heel to take them off, pull it up over your heel to put them back on. So it's at its simplest, it's that easy. The whole process, uh, I'm actually putting out a, um, a little file, a little PDF file, that will walk through the tying step the process one step at a time, so you can follow that easier than, than the video. We'll have that up shortly. Um, but even if you follow the video and just pause every time you need to do the next thing, if you do what I just described, just put your foot on it, place the mark, punch the hole, lace them up, that could take you like 15, 20 minutes. I can do it in about 5 or 10 now. Then the, optionally, if you want to get a perfect fit, you can trim your um, zero shoes to fit by just making, taking a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a, um, 
uh, pen. <laughs> that was it. Just take a pen and just kind of trace around the shape of your foot and you can cut it out with a pair of kitchen scissors. That's totally optional. I usually say to people, wear them as they are for a little while, for a couple of days, and you'll see where your feet tend to land and you'll see if you feel like you need to, to trim them at all. But it's really that easy and that's the, that's the gist of it. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Yep, that was my that was my encouragement. <laughs> so, um, and again, it's it's really it's really simple when you do it the first time. What my favorite part is after you do it the first time, you will have developed what I like to call the superpower of knowing how you can make your own shoes, um, also known as the post zombie apocalypse career change. Because if you know how to make sandals, and the zombie apocalypse happens, people are going to need shoes, so they're not stepping on all those broken glass and that broken glass and dead bodies, and you're going to be the guy who makes shoes. So that'll be your new job. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to the zombie apocalypse, but the career change worked for me. So I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, we've had a number of people who've joined us in the last couple of minutes, so first I want to say hi and welcome you. I'm Stephen Sashin from Zero Shoes. Um, this is just an open, free-form call. If anybody has any questions about anything barefoot-related or, sh or shoe-related, not just about Zero Shoes, but about anything minimalist, we're happy to, happy to do that. We were just talking about the, 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 the basic, simple phenomenon of what it takes to make one of our kits. Um, so whoever else has a question or a comment or anything, hop on in, introduce yourself, and let's take it from there. Stephen, this is Alex from San Diego. I have uh, a question. I've been wearing your Zero Shoes for about six months now, and they're awesome. Um, I started running barefoot probably about a month before I found your site and found your shoes and your very funny videos, I might add. <laughs> um, um, so mostly I run barefoot. Obviously, I don't have an issue with winter or anything down here being a problem. Um, and when I have to, I walk around barefoot too. When I have to wear shoes, I generally wear your shoes. Um, but I'm thinking about doing an adventure race uh, early next year, like a Tough Mudder. And I'm trying to figure out now what footwear <laughs> would be appropriate for that. I mean, I don't really want to go back to wearing regular shoes, but I'm also not sure about you know running up and down on you know serious trails and going through. Uh, obstacles and stuff. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a slightly tricky one. It's a personal preference. Now let me and let me back up a half a step and say, um, while I've worn practically nothing but barefoot or zero shoes for the last three years, I'm not suggesting that's the way it should be for anyone. In fact, the times that I'm not wearing my shoes um, is when I'm on the track and I'm a nationally ranked sprinter. And so when I'm at anything over 80% of my full speed, or especially if I'm competing, I'm either in spikes or what are referred to as spikeless spikes. So it's a hard four-foot plate and pretty much nothing else. I mean, there's, not, there's no padding. There's no heel rise. There's, there's, it's just um, something that holds your foot nice and tight and gives you a lot of traction, which is important. So I'm a big fan of um, using the appropriate footwear at the appropriate time. The other time I had to wear shoes was when I had to appear in court. <laughs> and I put on – actually, it was kind of ironic. And the only shoes that I had – that, that fit me are a pair of Nike Free that I had made for myself about five years ago. Um, uh, I had a credit at Nike and I had a pair made specially that were all black, black sole, black, I mean just black, 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 black. So, that, so if you don't look carefully, they can look like dress shoes, which is what I was counting on. Um, the, the annoying part is the heel is so high on those that within a couple of hours my knees were killing me. But that's just a tangent from, you know, right shoe at the right time. And those, the Tough Mudder courses, it kind of, it, it depends, is the, is the unfortunate answer. I wish there was a simple answer. But the it depends part is, 
Trails and obstacles are typically not a problem. Um, we have people who, who do trail ultras in zero shoes without, uh, without a hitch. Um, I've done all manner of weird kind of boot campy things without a problem. Lateral motion, um, waraches, not just our shoes, but sandals in general, not the best thing for lateral motion. That's something to consider. I mean, you can do a different lacing pattern that could be better for lateral motion, but the standard warache tying style with the toe strap and just the going around your, your ankle and your heel, not, um, not the best for, for keeping your foot on, on the shoe when you're doing that. Like, ba um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tennis or, or um, basketball? I wouldn't wear just the regular waraches for that. But, you know, again, there might be some tying styles that work. People would have to experiment and see if they're in the mood to do that. Now, mud's a whole different story. And the issue with mud is um, the stuff underneath your feet and the stuff in between your feet. And the, the reality of mud is that there's no shoe that's going to protect you entirely. There's no shoe that's going to be perfect. There's nothing that um, gives you perfect traction. That's why they use it in those events. And there's nothing that will keep stuff out of your feet and give you perfect you know, traction within your, within your shoes. That said, if you're slipping in a shoe, you've got the upper of the shoe that will stop you from slipping too far. You don't have that with um, rushes. The flip side is, if you're going through mud, you can just take these off in a half a second and stick them in your pocket or down your pants or hold on to them or do something. So these are the easiest things to get on and off if you think that some combination of barefoot and a little protection will work for you. But unfortunately, if it's your first one, um, I, I don't have a lot of advice because it really is, it's as much a personal preference as it is when people say to me, should I get the four mil contact, uh, connector, the six mil contact? I go, it's not that simple. Um, it really depends on how much you want to feel the ground and what kind of things you're doing. Uh, and we have people who run ultra marathons in the four mil, and we have people who run ultra marathons in the six. And so, similarly, we have people who just walk around just strolling in, in each, and each person will claim that, you know, they found the best solution for them. Okay, thank you. I mean, it's even, it's even helpful to know that people are running, you know, ultras and, and long trail runs and stuff in them, because I have mostly been in cities, so I've not mostly run on trails, which I used to do, but not right, right. barefoot before I went barefoot. So that, that in itself, knowing that is, is you know, <laughs> very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Good. My pleasure. Stephen. Stephen, this yes. is um, Simon Hanna here in the UK. Um, just hey, on Simon. that last point, the, the thing that I would add is um, the weather here in the UK has turned and a lot of uh, what was dry trail is now pretty boggy trail. And my experience to this point is being, you know, if you're just out for a run on your own, you're very much in control, you can work on your form, you know, you can keep your lines all fairly straight. Uh, actually, it's fine. And once you, once you feel you get dirty, you know, you get over that, even better, you know, you then just run through anything. Um, <laughs> The the counter though, you know, I've seen guys doing races now as well in you know pretty boggy trails, and you know, because they're completely in control, you know, it works great. But I would say something like a tough mudder, I would say you know, work it out for yourself. Try a similar course first to work out mm -hmm. what yes, happens you when you yeah. flip sideways off a log when you're trying to cross a bit of a bridge or something like that, because that's when you may have issues. Also, you'll okay. find when it gets really muddy, you may have to adjust your um, your tension on your lacing um, because when everything gets really boggy and slippy and things are pulling all over the place, you might find that where previously you weren't losing your heel strap, you know, start sliding down your heel. So practice first. I wouldn't go straight into a race in them and just hoping for the best. You know, you may find you, know, you go out and do something really, really horrible and you try it and you think, actually, it's fine. Or you may find actually it's a bit too much hard work. But give it a go because I think, I've no doubt for some people it would work fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Good, good. Who's next? Me. I'm Claudia. Hi, Claudia. Hi. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I'm the lady that you spoke briefly to a long time ago in 
I believe June when I bought my first pair of invisible shoes. And I'm the one that broke, that, um, not broke, but have um, pretty severe um, soft tissue injuries on my left foot um, that happened seven months ago. And I have to say, I really hate you, Stephen, and I adore you at the same time because you have spoiled me so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I love my invisible, well, most of the time until I got called my invisible shoe because I couldn't put anything on my injured foot. But um, (laughs) I am most interested in walking because Mm -hmm. before I can start running, I've got to walk. And um, do you have any ideas on form? And, you know, I'm I'm still on crutches. I'm not putting uh, all my weight. I'm putting some of my weight on my injured foot. And... I thought this is an ideal time to really kind of work with feeling my body and walking. Um, I do. And in fact, one of the first posts that I'm going to have up on the new website um, at zeroshoes.com when that launches hopefully within a week, um, I say hopefully because before I got on the call, I found a whole bunch of bugs (laughs) that I'm not sure how we're going to fix, but that's (laughs) ignoring that. Um, yes, and the, the thing that I have to say about walking is it's usually a little upside down, and what I mean by that is with all the attention that people are paying to forefoot strike or foot strike when it comes to running, um, they try and do the same thing when it comes to walking, so I get a lot of emails and phone calls from people saying, uh, well, how do I walk? And what they mean is, is it okay to land on my heel? Do I land on my midfoot? Do I land on my forefoot? How is it similar to running? And my response is it's really the wrong question. Um, so yeah. I'll talk about form, and then let's talk about your situation, uh, yeah. not specifically, but uh, kind of specifically, half specifically. So the form thing is this. If you imagine standing on one leg, that's something you actually can imagine, but for everyone, imagine you're standing on one leg, and I asked you to propel yourself forward by using your muscles, and um, you're not allowed to bend at the waist, you're not allowed to just try and tip over from your ankles, but I, but I actually want you to move your center of mass forward, which is your hips really, move your hips forward by just contracting some muscle or muscles in your body. Um, uh, I'll make this a biomechanical quiz. What muscles could you or would you have to contract in order to do that? Anybody? I guess your glutes. Good. And there's one other, which is your hamstrings, which are... Yeah, but I didn't know the name of it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Suffice it to say, it's it's your butt and the back of your leg. And what happens, I mean, if if you're in a place where you can try this, if you stand on one leg and literally just contract your glutes, it's going to shove your hips forward. And if you don't, if you stay kind of tight through the rest of your core, it will move your entire body forward. And at some point, it will become clearly obvious, not in your brain, but to all of you, that if you don't put your other foot down, you will fall on your face. And if you just put your foot down, if you don't try to kick it in front of you like we normally do when walking, but if you literally just put it down so you don't fall on your face and stop right there, you'll notice that your foot is in a perfect position. It's like right underneath your center of mass. You probably landed either on your midfoot or maybe you slightly rolled over your heel, but you landed relatively flat-footed-ish. And now if you just repeated that by now contracting your glutes and your hamstrings on the other side, you would do the same thing. Now, if you did it just like that, you would um, look like a crazed zombie. So I'm not suggesting that's the way you actually walk. But if you smooth it out, it will look different than your normal walking. In fact, I like to say um, there's two interesting groups of people to watch and compare their walking to yours. One is... uh, 
uh, race walkers in the Olympics who do this crazy, wacky, weird, swingy thing with their legs. Um, and the other is uh, tribal women typically, well, any tribe really, but we think of African women when we think of this. And take a look at the way both of them walk. It's a very different kind of thing than what we do. And I noticed when I first started paying attention to my walking and was using my glutes and hamstrings and landing with my foot underneath me, I literally one day was walking and went, wow, I feel like I could be one of those African women balancing something on my head. It's a very different flavor. Um, and the, the issue of foot strife just changes based on how fast you're walking at, or slowly and whether you're going uphill, downhill, or on a flat. And that part isn't going to be as much of an issue if you're actually propelling yourself, if you're using the prime movers, that's what those muscles are referred to, of your body and letting your foot just sort of drop naturally where it would go to stop you from falling on your face rather than kicking it out in front of you. Um, Oh, wait, there was one other thought that went along with that. Uh, um, speed, foot plant. Um, uh, my, oh, my, I lost it. Anyway, the, the gist of it is um, the, the heel strike, midfoot strike, forefoot strike, not really as important as, oh, I remember what it is, not nearly as important as just um, using your body the way it's designed to be used. And the, the feeling that you'll get when you do this some people have emailed and told me this, you get a feeling of being over your feet, above your feet. And when Americans walk, if you look at them, most of them, their, their, their legs, their, sometimes even their hips, are kind of in front of their body, and it's like they're trying to catch up. Like the, the um, what's the, the, oh, the tread guy, the, um, the old cartoon from, was it R. Crumb? Um, I can't remember what, what it's called. Anyway, the, the, the feeling that you get when you use your glutes and you let your foot, your forefoot, front foot, just sort of drop to, to land underneath you is that your shoulders are above your hips and your hips are above your feet. It's, it can sometimes feel like you're almost falling forward, but you're not. It's just that you're really, everything is lined up on top of your feet. So that's the, the, the big picture, the gist of walking. For your specific situation, um, the, anybody who has any sort of injury, step one is, of course, be gentle, let yourself heal. There's no rush to make this transition to doing anything, whether it's walking or running. So um, you can still pay attention to these same things. I remember when I was on crutches, um, actually, I worked really hard at the leg that was the one that was hitting the ground. I was really using that one a lot. Um, and trying to find ways of, well, frankly, I was trying to find way to, ways to run on my crutches because that's the kind of guy that I was. Uh, and I did. It worked. So, so you, can, you can do things like that. But the most important thing is let yourself heal and don't worry until, you know, you're more mobile. Well, the, the good, quote-unquote, good leg um, does get sore. <clears throat> and so yeah. I'd like to approximate as much as I can, where, where you know, receiving ADM. What? Where do you get sore? Which part of oh, just in the just in the hip from so much weight being on the wrong side. You know, I'm not on center, so it's just it just my hip gets sore. Yeah, I was asking to see if it was a hip or if it was some other muscle because if it was a different muscle, that could mean over overwork overwork in a way that you can probably do something about. Just the hip from what you're dealing with, that's probably just the way it is for now. Yeah, I I figure it is. I mean, I can say my shoulders and arms are tired too, but (laughs) anyway. Yeah, I I really do enjoy the shoes. It's 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 difficult wanting to d- dress fashionably, however, as a woman and being bare, you know, practically barefoot. But um, well, never. I'll, t- 
I'll tell you the way that Lena has gotten gotten around that, um, uh, and it's not really that complicated. There's two things. One is that well, it depends on what, what kind of fashion you're looking for, because there's certain places where rustic fashion is cool. And so you can you take your shoes and do what Lena has done, which is add beads and charms and various things, and they actually they have a funky, cool, rustic thing that works for a lot of um, situations where you would need to be dressy. We have a lot of women who are wearing these to offices with their suits or business attire, and they typically just do fun things with knots and or charms and beads to make them look like something something more um, similarly yeah. you can replace the laces uh, with something that's more fashion forward and, and funky and cool and, and fun and they won't they, the, those laces probably won't be as uh, sturdy they won't necessarily last as long but you just pay attention and take a look at them it's not a big deal it, it's it's a different thing if you're we're paying attention to fashion rather than performance. Right, right. Well, going to the ballet, you know. <laughs> oh man. So wait, going to the ballet. These I'll tell you why I think these would be perfect. <laughs> I'm serious. Speaking as a as a guy who was a former dancer and hung out with a lot of dancers, this is the kind of thing people will just assume that you're a dancer. They'll just assume that you're somehow connected because they'll because this is the kind of thing. It's it's just not too especially if you do one of the traditional tying styles like the toga style. People would just assume that you're you know part of the company. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a different kind of dancer. I'm a um, tango dancer, but yeah, that would be yeah. funny. That would be fun. I guarantee if you do, I, I I'm willing to bet that if you have the I was going to say if you had the balls to do it, but if you had the if you had the lady balls to do it, I guarantee. <laughs> That um, you would you would come back and say I was a little nervous, but all I kept getting was um, people complimenting me and asking me where I got them. I'll, I'll have to do that. It's a little cold right now, and the ballet's always in the winter. But um, I'll figure out something. Um, You're in, the ballet's indoors. You have to get just get from the car to the the hall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really do love these shoes, though. I, I, on dates, you know, I go on dates and I've got them, and they go, wow, different shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're not the little pointed, the little sexy things. But anyway, they're they're my feet, and I just love them. Thank you so much for for being so right on with your advice too. No, I I really Thank value you. it. Thanks. You're good. So who's next? <laughs> hey, Stephen. My name's Sue, and I'm calling you from California. I just logged hey, on. Hello. I just called in, and uh, like the previous caller, thank you. And I would suggest she has the ovaries. To wear <laughs> your shoes. To the well, those are, those, technically, those are lady balls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are. They are lady balls. I've, I've only heard of pulling up your big girl panties. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I'm a, a cross country coach in California at the high school level. I was formerly a collegiate coach and a collegiate runner. And uh, my question is how do we? convince the powers that be to allow the kids to race in open-toed shoes. They won't go for it. It's, you know, boy, I wish I had a great answer to that question. What I have instead is uh, a lot of people who've contacted me and, and said the same thing, that they, they, they ran into some difficulties. My, um, my niece-in-law, my sister's niece, mm-hmm. she... Uh, she had to sign uh, some sort of waiver that that absolved the school of any responsibility if she had any problems. Of course, not only did she have no problems, but she ended up healthier than all the rest of the cross-country runners and 
really had a great season. Um, it made them all kind of go, hmm, but it certainly didn't change policy. Um, it's, a, it's a, boy, I don't know is the simple answer. I think that, and I haven't given it a lot of thought, I'll, I'll be honest. As I ponder it now, I think that it's going to take some sort of concerted semi-political effort from people like me and like you who have the experience to back up the opinion and, um, and, and have to just figure out what the appropriate channels are. I guarantee that it's all insurance-based and that all the reasons that people are giving for why you can't do it or they think you're somehow going to get hurt by doing something that you, uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, uh, so we have to track down what the actual problem is and then figure out what we would need to do in terms of some sort of lobbying effort to, to um, uh, address it. And, and most likely we'd have to do it in one place and then put together a little packet for how to do it everywhere else. I, I'm saying this as a uh, both an invitation as an off and an offer. Uh, I can't spearhead this for a list of reasons, mostly time, but I'm more than happy to help in any way that I can and then and, and do whatever I can if you're inspired enough to make some of those inquiries and see what we can discover. Yeah, I definitely would be because um, two-thirds of my team and probably 50% of our training happens in bare feet. Um, well, the local, the local high school here... I watch the kids uh, getting on the, doing all their track work, and then I'll watch them do a bunch of barefoot stuff because the coach does believe in barefoot. And then I watch them pulling goat heads out of their feet, and I say, well, why don't you, why don't you wear these? And the answer is, oh, well, they, they can't. I want, how is barefoot okay, but wearing these not? I mean, the, the level of thinking and discourse is a bit low. Right. Well, we're talking about the liability police. Yeah. I agree it's, with you there. Yeah, okay. I mean that has to be that has to be the answer um, because uh, there's no other. I mean, there's, that one doesn't make sense either. But there's certainly no other one that would make sense. Right. In fact, part, it, I just realized that um, with my niece-in-law, she had the same problem just when she wanted to wear moccasins. So they're closed toe, but they didn't have an outsole, and they uh, she had to sign a waiver for that too. Hmm. So it's. It's, it's A, it's peculiar, B, it's 40 years of people believing what they've been told from running shoe companies and forgetting that prior to that, people ran around in sandals and bare feet and minimalist shoes and were fine. Right. I'm from the era before the waffle trainers, so uh, we used to run our 5 and 10Ks in flip-flops that we, um, we made rubber band chains to um, attach around our heel to keep the flip-flops on. And it was great. We never had plantar fasciitis. We didn't have an anterior tib tendonitis. Nobody yep. had patellar tendonitis. Yep. But what I find, and I'm a, a teacher, is the children today are shod in these cast-like shoes from very early on, and their intrinsic foot muscles have atrophied. Yep. You know, set aside the... Um, the subject of proprioception, they just don't have the strength. And, and half of them now at like eight are just almost crippled by it. And slowly we're trying to um, increase the strength in their feet by having them barefooted at school as much as possible. And we're a really small school and we're rather rural, so we don't have many people watching, thankfully. <laughs> so we can do what we want, but, you know, getting them on the BOSU ball barefooted, um, right. I'd like to have them roll their feet over those little dryer balls and because uh, I, I see that they walk like Franken-child with yeah. no communication between their feet and their brain. 
and it, and it seems to translate to their learning. Um, it does. Not only um, their their intellectual growth, but their ability to participate in other sports. It's, and the parents just don't get it. Well, here's here's some weird research that you'll appreciate. In Japan, they did a study about kids, uh, I think kindergarten age, who went barefoot versus those that didn't. And the ones who went barefoot uh, developed some better social skills hmm. in part because they had to pay attention to their feet and cleaning their feet and putting taking on and putting off whatever they were uh, whatever else they were wearing but they were just more aware and that turned into a um, uh, faster social development that was measured I'm willing to bet that there's an intellectual component as well for the exact reasons you mentioned you, you, all those nerves on your feet connect to your brain and if you're not using them while your brain remaps um, it's there's a reason that all that stuff is there and all that hmm gray matter is devoted to paying attention to it. So I, I'm sure there's, a, there's a, a there there. Similarly, elderly people, Dr. Mike Merzenich has postulated that the reason elderly people have balance issues is not because of anything vestibular. It's not because of something about their ability to balance, but because their brain thinks their feet are these big paddles, and balancing a big, stiff paddle is harder than a flexible, articulatable uh, mm -hmm. joint or, or, or um, appendage. So uh, we, we got a letter from a guy a couple weeks ago. He was in his 80s. He's been using a walker for a number of years, and he had heard about the study that was done uh, where they put little vibrating insoles in the shoes of people who were having balance problems, and it improved their balance. And I wrote a blog post about this saying that the vibrating thing is just hand-waving uh, or foot-waving. Um, it's just a substitute for actually feeling the ground. If you just took off your shoes, I bet you'd get the same effect. So he found my article and didn't have the vibrating insole, so he just took off his shoes. And he said, I got up, and I walked without my walker for the first time. And I was able to balance for the first time, and it took, you know, like five minutes. So I, I know there's a lot that's going to be, hopefully we're going to be able to, to start making some inroads into that space also, because that's a place where people really also need to get out of their shoes. I, I, I had a thought for you, um, given especially the size of your school. We've had a couple of schools where they have made sandals as a class project, either as something related to um, uh, studying Mexico or indigenous people or archaeological something. We've also had, uh, what are they called, um, drama school classes make these because similarly, this, they had been doing a lot of things about proprioception and about um, sensory contact and they like the idea of being barefoot but didn't want to be barefoot. So you, we might find that there's an interesting end run that we can do by getting things on people's feet for other reasons and then suddenly there's more kind of uh, grassroots movement saying, well, why can't we just keep wearing these? That's a great idea. I think um, your, your Canadian listeners with, with their... Um and then some of the Asian countries that, you know, never would even think of walking into your home with their shoes on. Right. You know, you check them at the door. And um, and I know there's a number of people with with issues and they feel they cannot walk without their orthotics because of plantar fasciitis or whatnot. And, and they tend to, in the Canadian play, um, countries, they enter the home and they get, they sit because it's uncomfortable yeah. to walk around because their podiatrist have told them they need to be supported. It's going to make it worse to go barefooted. And, and meanwhile, you're just kind of shaking your head and, you know, rolling your eyes saying, that is the exact opposite advice I, that I they have, need. 
I've taken people who had plantar fasciitis diagnoses, um, whether they were runners or walkers, and by showing them how to walk the way we were talking before, or showing them how to run by being midfoot strikers who don't overstride, showed that they can do both of those. With not, not only does it not aggravate their plantar fascia, but it actually strengthens the plantar fascia. And I said, you still have to heal. You've still damaged some tissue around your heel. But in terms of the strength of the plantar fascia, that's, that, that's not an, an impact, or that's not, not been affected. And if you actually use your feet correctly, your plantar fascia are engaged in a place where they're strong. And because of that, um, the, the, it's not a problem. And I had one guy, he was actually a, um, an a, a venture capitalist who said, well, I love this barefoot thing, but I've got plantar fasciitis. And I said, oh, I can cure that in five minutes. <laughs> he was a little dumbstruck. And I just showed him how to walk and showed him how to run. And he was able to do both without pain for the first time in a long time. And he'd been in pain subsequent to his diagnosis because he, his doctor put him in orthotics. Right. So we'll cr cross our fingers that we can. I mean, I, I say this not really joking, but... Um, but it's kind of a hope that over the next year, year and a half, what we might discover is that our way into dealing with kids and getting them to start feeling the world and their feet is through fashion. Is if the kids find this these things fashionable, especially with some of the new stuff that we're designing, beads and charms and tying styles, that, that might be the way that this all happens. By the way, um, for anyone who's got some background noise behind them, because I can hear someone who does, if you hit star six, it'll mute you temporarily, or it'll mute you, and then if you need to talk again, you hit star six to unmute yourself, but that way we can keep the background noise to a minimum. So-so. Anybody else? Or who's next? Steven? Hi, Steven. Yes. <coughs> Hi, Stephen. Uh, my name is Joe Dutton. I'm calling from Bangalore, Maine. And uh, I, uh, I'd just like to add kind of a, an attachment to the last section there. Uh, that's how I got into barefoot running was, uh, uh, like yourself from the sounds, I, I kind of got tired of being injured all the time while I was trying to run. Mm -hmm. And uh, my big problem was, in fact, plantar fasciitis. And... Uh, in researching what to do about my problem, I had all kinds of people telling me that, uh, you know, I needed orthotics. I had people telling me, oh, just go get a shot. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm in my 30s here. I don't really want to be uh, taking that angle. You know, there's a reason why my feet aren't working, and I always figured I should be able to get them to work properly. And, and so doing the research, uh, everything kept pointing me towards barefoot running. And so that's how eventually I got into barefoot running, and I started very slowly, only uh, very short runs, a day or two a week. And then over quite a period of time, I transitioned to uh, now being completely barefoot. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't know about your product right away, so uh, I kind of experimented um, and ultimately ended up wearing a lot of uh, aqua shoes, just kind of like the aqua socks right. with a, a thin rubber sole. And uh, sure enough, you know, I haven't had any injuries since, and running is much more comfortable. And and uh, I just recently found out about zero shoes, so uh, hopefully any day now here, my first pair of zero shoes will be, will be here, and then I'll start in with those. But uh, I just wanted to take the, uh, the time to thank you for for uh, developing your product 
and uh, I think ultimately it's going to be the perfect solution for uh, where I want to be. And I also want to thank you for, for having these teleseminars. I think it's great that, uh, you know, we as consumers can uh, call in and, and, and get our questions answered and, and hear from other people and, and learn from everybody's collective experience. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. Well, my pleasure, and it's um, it's just one of my favorite things to do is to have these conversations, and um, so um, thanks. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Good. So who's next? Hello, this is Scott. I'm calling Scott. from uh, Decorah, Iowa, and I thought I would jump in now because I actually bought my first pair of invisible shoes uh, about a year ago. Um, and so I've had sort of a year's worth of experience of uh, running totally barefoot, um, running with zero shoes. And one of the things I have noted, I've also run with the aqua shoes like the previous caller. One of the things I have noted that uh, I still have issues with in spite of um, I've some of the distances I've run have been half marathon, 25k, uh, trail runs, barefoot, um, on asphalt. But I still seem to have problems when I put the zero shoes on, um, where I get a little kind of slapping sound yep. on landing. So. And p- part of what I'm wondering about is I they're they're actually probably protrude about a half an inch in front of yeah, my that's toes. Not, that, that's not it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my how do I want to put this? Um, there's been a really interesting cha- mindset change, I think, in the last however many years, um, uh, in the way that we relate to products. And it used to be when products were not so specific and they weren't so um, high tech and they weren't so customized for whatever seems to ail us, that people um, were a little more experimental and a little more willing to take something and rip it apart and put it back together and make it work. Um, not just not just physically, but conceptually as well. Um, but what's happened in in the not too distant past is we've all become a little um, product focused. So whenever there's a problem, we tend to go, well, it's got to be something going on with the product. I'm not saying this is you. I'm just speaking kind of generally. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon where especially in the shoe world where what has fueled shoe sales is, oh, you have this problem, it is that you need to get the following shoe to fix it. And if it didn't fix it, you need a different shoe to fix the problem. And if that didn't work, you still need a different shoe, and on it goes. So the issue with slapping, um, I, I like to say it's possible, and there are videos out there of people, including me, doing it, to run in zero shoes or waraches of any kind um, uh, really quietly, sometimes almost silently, sometimes no louder than, than any other pair of shoes. Uh, knowing that it's possible, one of the things I like to say to people is go out for a run, take it nice and slow, don't push yourself too hard, don't do it for too long, but just wonder what could I do differently that might get the sound to go away since it's clearly possible for that to happen and see what you discover. Now, I'll tell you a story that's in a related note. I ride a really weird recumbent bicycle, so it's one of those bikes you sit down on, your feet are out in front of you, and the one that I ride is even weirder than that because it has front-wheel drive 
it's a front-wheel drive recumbent, so the chain goes um, just to the front wheel, and um, there's no chain on the back. The back wheel is just, is just passive. Now, what makes this particularly weird is that when you push on the pedals of the front-wheel drive bike, it, when you push with your right foot, it makes the steering wheel turn to the left. So if you push, you have to pull back to, to not basically just fall over. And, um, uh, and I called the company that made this bike. I've been riding it for years. I called the company that made this, and they said, what was it like for you to learn to ride the bike? Because I'd been on other kinds of recumbents for decades before. And I said, I've got to tell you, I'd get on the bike, I would, before I figured out a way to, to learn how to do it and teach other people how to do it, I'd get on the bike, I'd put my foot on the pedal, I'd start to push, and I'd fall over. And the only thing that kept me from throwing it in the trash was that I'd seen some videos of people who started and rode with no hands, which I thought was crazy, but I knew it was possible. So I kept asking myself, how, what are they doing differently than me? What are they doing where they're not fighting with the steering because every time they push, they have to pull in the opposite direction? How could they do this with no hands? There's got to be a way. And it took me a week, and then suddenly I could do all the same things. And I can't tell you what changed. I have no idea. It was just my body figuring it out, kind of trying to wonder its way into the question, how could I do it since it's possible? So I know that I can give that same kind of cue and for many people, they'll go out and wonder and play and see what they discover. Now, that said, I'll tell you what the cause is. And, and then I'll give you a couple of cues that might be helpful. So the cause, <laughs> this is going to sound silly, the cause of a slapping noise is slapping your feet on the ground. And as stupid as that sounds, um, it, it, it's really that. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can slap your feet on the ground. One is by overstriding, which means that you're landing with your foot further in front of your knee than it should be and really it shouldn't be in front of your knee. It should be sort of under your knee or even maybe slightly behind. There's some debate about that, but suffice it to say, it shouldn't be in front, because if your foot is in front of your knee, that means it's way in front of your center of mass, which means every time you land, you're applying some braking forces, literally like putting the brakes on the car, and if you think about hitting the brakes of your car, when you do that, your foot kind of goes into the brakes. It does the same thing into the ground. So that's one, but that's perhaps the most common cause of slapping sound. Another thing, um, before I kind of go into causes and cures, is, and, and I'll ask you, when you're having slapping noises, is it identical on your left and right foot, or is, it, is one sometimes uh, better or worse than the other? I would say that they're pretty much the same. Okay. Um, and, and I have... It, and, sorry, let me interrupt and ask another question. Is it consistent, yep. or does it get louder and softer? It's fairly consistent. And if you, if you go uphill, is anything any different? Uh, sure. I mean, when you go uphill, it's pretty difficult to make that noise. Right. Now, the magic question is why. And the answer is when you go uphill, you can't overstride. There's two right. things that happen when you go uphill. A, you can't overstride. And B, you tend to be more flexible in your ankle, hip, and knee joints. Yeah. And, and that's really... If we just go with that, because actually you reminded me when I asked the question, or I reminded me, someone reminded me, that there was a guy who called and said, yeah, I was having this slapping thing. I noticed it wasn't happening when I was going uphill, so I started wondering, what am I doing uphill, and how can I just start doing the same thing on a flat? And he called a week later and said, yeah, I figured it out. I was, <clears throat> I was reaching out, and I just wasn't being very flexible in my, in my stance. So you might want to just play with being a little... Um, Bending your knees just a tiny bit more, that'll make the whole chain a little more flexible. 
pay attention to um, striding. And the other thing to think about, this is a, and so the, we know the causes. The cues for the cure are things like, um, you know, when you're on a treadmill, when you're running on a treadmill, there's that feeling where you're just trying to catch the belt so you don't fall on your face. You can, you can do the same sort of thing when you're running. You can kind of pretend or imagine that the ground is actually a treadmill and you need to catch the ground gently and let it move behind you and lift your foot off the ground rather than planting or landing on the ground. Um, so what you're, what you're wanting to do is be moving your feet horizontally as they approach the ground and then touch the ground. So it's almost like your feet are on a wheel. That's another image that sometimes people use successfully. Um, fake treadmill or a wheel, or just for the sake of really exaggerating, imagine you're sneaking up on a deer or running across like a thin pane of glass, so you need to be softer on your landings. All of those are cues just to help you find different ways of, of affecting your gait, just so you can have the experience of feeling quieter, louder, quieter, louder. And once you notice that something's different, and you, you might not know why, just the fact that you know that it's possible, if you keep playing with that over time, and I use the word playing specifically, don't go out and try and do, spend two hours figuring it out. Spend a few minutes and see what happens. Um, uh, but just go out and play with it and see what you discover, and then give it a couple days and try again. I, I, when I was working with my sprinting coach, he would teach us these drills that I was so frustrated by. I just literally couldn't figure out how to do some of them. And I would work and work and work for about 15 minutes and just be stumped about how I was supposed to get my body to do what he just showed me he could so effortlessly do. And what continues to amaze me, even though I understand the process intimately, what continues to amaze me is two or three days later, without any practice in between, I'd go out and do it and be instantly better. So learning happens in the rest time, not the work time. So play with it and see what you discover. Knowing the cause is stiffness or overstriding or literally just slapping. Um, and, then, uh, and then see what happens when you, when you come back a couple days later. Actually, there's only one other cause, and I'm, I'm expecting that this is not your situation. <clears throat> the other cause is if you heel strike. If you actually land on your heel, then um, literally as your forefoot hits the ground, you're, you, the only way you can, it can hit the ground is by slapping it on the ground. I'm assuming that's not your situation. But it, it occurred to me that that's the third way that it happens. And I, I vividly remember um, a customer who called who was having the same issue, who I said, well, um, you're doing one of these things. And he said, well, that's not true because I'm a really successful barefoot runner, and I've been, I've been teaching pose method running, and you know I don't do that. I said, oh, great. Um, send me a video. Let's take a look. So he sends me a video. And I couldn't get the video part to work. There was something wrong with my computer. But I could hear the audio. And I could hear slap, 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 slap. And I said, I, I wrote him back. And I said, um, I can't see the video yet, but your heel striking and overstriding because I can hear each foot strike has two beats to it. And he assures me that that's not the case. And then we watched the video together when I finally got it working. And he, it, it couldn't have been more obvious. And even though it was screamingly obvious in slow motion, you could see his heel hitting the ground with his toes in the air and then his toes slapping the ground a moment later. It took 20 minutes till he was willing to admit that's what he was doing. So that's not, again, not saying that's your situation. Um, that's just a long, big picture for anyone else who's, who, who might be listening to the call at some point. The, 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 the best thing I can say is, A, wonder what can I do to move slightly differently since we know it's possible and B, play with the, that question of, of overstriding and, and um, 
uh, and uh, um, horizontal motion and stiffness. And again, that, that thing of like, okay, if I'm not having a problem when I'm going up a hill, what changes once the hill flattens out? And how can I not change that? Make sense? Um, it does. And I will have to keep playing at it. I've, I, yeah, it's curious to me that um, I can run completely silently on asphalt, even gritty, rough asphalt and bare feet and water shoes. Um, I, I, can, I, can, I, I can tell. I can tell you why. It's it's because it's not the same. I mean, it, it's okay. really. This is this is going to sound silly, but um, I've seen people. It's not the same for a list of reasons. Your your bare feet are softer than than the sole of, of the shoes. Right. I mean, it's, it's a whole different pro thing. But the fact that you're running quiet, and, and again, I, I'm not. I can't see you running, so I'm not speaking specifically to you, really. Right. But the fact that you run quietly bare feet doesn't mean you have good form. I have seen quite a number of quote successful barefoot runners, who, when we look at them in video, have. Uh, I, I was going to be graphic. Um, they have crap for form. They yeah. overstride. They heel strike. They do all manner of horrible things, but um, but their bare feet and the surfaces they're running on, including concrete and asphalt, are ironically somewhat forgiving. And then you put anything on their feet, and it starts highlighting um, other issues. I had someone who came and got a pair of custom shoes, and he said um, you know, he, that he does 15 miles a week barefoot or 20 miles a week barefoot and has never had a problem. He said every now and then he notices a little something, and I wish I could remember what that something was. And I said to him, um, oh, yeah, that's because you overstride, just very glibly like that. <laughs> and he said, I, I don't think so. I've been doing this for a long time. I said, yeah, I know, and you've been overstriding for a long time. And he said, no, nah, I, I don't think so. And he was sort of trying to pat me on the head. And I said, well, let's just see. I'm willing to bet that when you put on these shoes and we go out for a run together, um, you're going to be making some um, slapping noises. And he just looked at me a little odd, and we put his shoes on, and wouldn't you know it, we go out running together, and I'm totally quiet, and he's making slapping noises. And he looks at me a little dumbstruck. And I gave him a couple of drills to, to try to not overstride, and five minutes later, he's running just as quiet as I am. And he says, oh, you know what, this actually feels different than what I was doing barefoot before, too. I said, yeah, you were just doing it with some... And, and I've even seen people who are totally perfect on their right side and overstriding goofy on their left side, or vice versa. So my, from my experience, the issues that come up with Huaraches, uh actually point out issues that were that had gone possibly point out issues that had gone unnoticed <clears throat> when we were barefoot. Sometimes it's literally because um, when you put something on your feet, it can change your gait. When I did an, when I was doing research at uh, Colorado Mesa University with Bill Sands from the U.S. Olympic Committee, we just put um, <clears throat> either barefoot, someone's favorite running shoes, five fingers, or our shoes on people's feet and just watched what happened when they ran on a treadmill. We didn't give them any instruction. We just said, put these on, go for a run at a comfortable pace, and we videotaped them. And with the exception of the nationally ranked middle distance sprinters, the 400 meter and 800 people, people 800 meter people, um, other than them, who you could put bricks on their feet and nothing changed, everybody else, depending on what they were wearing, their gait changed and they didn't even know it. And that's the key thing. They didn't even know it. We had a very accomplished barefoot runner who also spends a lot of time in five fingers. And when he was in his five fingers, he was heel striking, and he didn't know it. And we saw it on the video. So, um, so it might be that you're totally perfect barefoot, and as soon as you put something on your feet, something changes slightly. It might be that there's a little form issue that these things highlight. Um, again, I, I have to speak somewhat broadly and semi-hypothetically because I can't see you. 
But speaking of which, if you want to send me a video, I'm happy to look at it. Okay. Well, uh, I might try some of the play stuff and see where I get. And if I'm still not getting anywhere, I might take you up on sending yeah. a video. Yeah. But the key thing I, is just, you know, wonder what could I do. And I guarantee it's like if you get three or four strides that are quieter, you'll go, okay, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> and that might spur you on. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, pleasure. Anybody else? I'm happy to keep going for as long as we're here. Hey, Stephen, this uh, is Sue I, again in California. Um, Sue, go ahead, and then whoever was talking, just as Sue was starting, then we'll jump in. We'll stay stay put, and we'll hit you next. Yep, Sue. Just a real quick semi-question comment regarding um, the last runner's um, issue that I've noticed with a lot of the kids on our team is if if I give them, you know, you know how it is when you give a sequence of instructions, people fall right over. They can't process more than one or two things at a time regarding form. But I just ask them to decrease the angle at their elbow, and it right away it naturally shortens their stride. And they, we have a number of runners who are really trying to overcome years of overstriding, even That's though they're really still young. And that is the one little tip I just say. You know, crank your lower arm up a little bit closer to your humerus and see what happens. And or, it, it seems right off at, at the easiest um, tip to give them. I was wondering, am I steering them wrong? Is that is that a bad no. idea or is that? No, actually, actually, it's it's a great cue and it's something that I, that I I talk about as well. Is and if people don't know what that means, imagine um, hooking your thumbs underneath your armpits. That's that's closing the angle of your elbow. So. Um, uh, most people think about running where their hands are kind of down by their hips almost or like a 90-degree angle in their elbows. But if you shorten the, the – uh, if you actually move the mass up the lever, if you, if you shorten your arms in a, in a way from a physics standpoint <clears throat> by kind of almost sticking your, your thumbs in your armpits, um, when you do that, it makes your arms – lighter as they swing back and forth and you tend to um, they tend to swing in a slightly shorter arc and your legs will match so you'll tend to um, pick up your, your cadence a little bit and tend not to reach out with your feet um, the other thing that arms your arms do is they counterbalance your feet so if your hands are sort of by your hips and your hands are reaching out um, in your in the front part of your stride by you know two feet two and a half feet your legs have to match that if you keep your hands up closer to your armpits and so the 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 swing is less and there's less mass from your arms moving forward and backward your arms will your legs will match that as well and they won't go quite so far and that actually is a, a great um, cure for for overstriding and also if we think about what we do on hills that's uh, another thing that tends to happen is the arms the arms tend to come up in the uh, the arm swing shortens as well, so I think that's a great cue. And with that, are you um, they rec recommended um, cadence of, of about 180 steps per minute? Or do you think that that changes at all? Barefooted should should um, I try to get the kids closer to 200? Yeah, the 100, 180. Um, the, the magic 180 number. I, I wish I could think of a better way of saying this, and I hope no one's offended. Uh, is complete bullshit. And uh, th there's a, a number of studies that show that. There are a number of studies that show that that really, really fast runners are way over 180, and that 180 is not some magic number. There's also studies that show that if you give people a cue to just pick up their cadence 
from whatever their natural thing is, and this is what I recommend, whatever the natural thing is, let's say it's 160, I'm making up a number for the fun of it, um, you give them something so they know what, say, 10% above that is. In this case, it would be 176, close to 180. You get them to 10% above that, and you, you know, check and see how they feel. Then you bump them up another 10% or 5%. Just move them up a little bit and just keep moving them up and see how they feel and see how their performance is. It's going to be different for different runners. It's going to be different for different runners who run different distances. It's going to be different for different parts of the race. It's going to be different for uphill, downhill. 180 is, is not a magic number. And uh, what happened, I'm sure, is that someone made up that meme and it just spread because it's easy. Right. But it's, but it's fiction. Um, what you need to find is, is a pace that makes sense for you that um, – it's probably not going to be natural at, for quite a while, and it may be, require some thinking to keep it going. But the whole, the whole reason or one of the reasons for increased cadence is that it's just harder to overstride and plant your feet on the ground when you have to move your feet faster at the same speed. This is the, the critical thing. The idea with picking up your cadence isn't that you start running faster. It's at first that you run at the same speed with just a higher turnover. And the only way you can do that is by having your feet on the ground for less time. And if you have your feet on the ground for less time, th it, it's, it's harder to overstride because it becomes kind of obvious that overstriding keeps your feet on the ground for longer and makes it harder to keep your cadence up. It's, a, it's, a, it's paradoxically, it's a loop, um, a feedback loop that, that, that all works together. You know, what work, works well for my kids is um, I blast dubstep and mm. get them in sync with that rhythm. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, now, again, it it's, it's not, it, it does. It's not going to be the same rhythm for everybody, but just to bump, if you're working with a group, you would definitely just want to bump them up in general just to see what it does as a group. And then if I were coaching, I would uh, take the, the athletes who, who I could, you, could, you can start to see it. You can spot the ones who need a little something different, and then I'd give them that little extra guidance, or I'd make that a group project to see you know, how far above dubstep is the appropriate beat for them and you can actually even buy some music that um uh or there's even some software that will insert a rhythm and and, and change the the tempo of some music to to give you running rhythms thank you mm -hmm. so who was about to say something before sue said something uh steven this is joe again from me hey joe hi uh i was just wondering um Realizing that from a business strategy, there may be things that you kind of want to keep under your hat, but I was wondering if, can you shed a little bit of light on uh, where Zero Shoes might be going in the future or uh, something that might be coming around the corner? And also, can um, you shed a little bit of light on what the new site is going to be like? No, on the last one. Um, um, <laughs> well, actually, I, what I, I can, um, it's going to be... I think way better organized in terms of uh, being able to find information that's useful and way better organized and for regarding finding information that's fun. <laughs> um, the, it, it's also going to be just way prettier. So there's that. I'm hoping that it, it, it converts more people into sales. I'm hoping that it just what, – what I see right now is there's still a lot of people looking for information about barefoot and minimalist running. And so they come to the site, and if they don't find that easily and quickly, they leave. So I'm hoping we get more people who stay and, and find the information they're looking for. Um, so that's a, that's a piece of it. I'm looking to create more – more um, educational tools and educational resources so people can can find out more about how this works and how it doesn't work because there's a lot of mythology about barefoot stuff, both 
within and on the outside of the barefoot community. Uh, like the 180 steps a minute is complete mythology. Um, so that needs to be cleared up in the same way that the things that the shoe companies say that are false need to be, need to be cleared up. Um, so that's the site stuff. In terms of the product stuff uh, and the company, oh boy, oh boy, what can I say? Um, we're looking to expand a little bit by just providing more resources beyond our shoes. And I, I'll drop the hint on these just for the fun of it. L little things like um, I just found these uh, let's see, how do I want to call them? I just found these great massage and strengthening tools that I'm in love with that we will be offering, and I will, I will give you the real secret. They're just golf balls, but, um, but they're golf balls that have, that, that have uh, the globe, uh, a globe on them. So they're tiny little globes in, in golf ball form. And why I love that, of course, is since our company name and our motto is Feel the World, they're little Feel the World massage and strengthening devices. <laughs> and, and everyone who I've shown them to, have just, they just adore them. They're, they're, they're very well made. I really like them. So we want to provide some more resources and provide some more tools for, for things like strengthening and conditioning um, and, and, again, more educational material. In terms of product, um, I really can't talk about the specific things that we're doing other than, let's see, um, I'm really bad at keeping secrets, so what you just asked is like crack for me. Um, oh boy, we, one of the things that, um, one of the things that's interesting about this product is it's ultimately really simple. It's a 15,000 year old idea or 20,000 year old idea. It's not that complicated. Tying a simple knot, especially with the new instructions that we're going to have, um, tying a simple knot to lace this thing around your foot, it's just not rocket science. Or as they said 15,000 years ago, it's not rock science. Um, and, and yet, some people are really intimidated by that. Some people love the DIY do-it-yourself component. Some people find that standoffish. I've been... Uh, I don't sleep very well at night because I... I imagine lacing patterns and tying styles and ways of improving the product and I don't get a lot of sleep um, because I do that all the time and a couple weeks ago I solved the problem I solved the problem of uh, the people who find lacing and knots and things like that intimidating without changing the the core of our product I, I solved the objections that people have that make them want to not even try our product because they think something that's factually inaccurate, but it's what they think. And so um, we, we're, we're working on developing some things. Uh, I, we recently hired someone who's the, uh, a co-founder from Avia Footwear, a company that made aerobic shoes back in the 80s, and formerly the head of global product design for Crocs. He and I have been designing some new things, and we're going over to China in a couple of weeks to um, get some of them made. And, and uh, all of that is, is part of our big picture. Um, I say this only half-jokingly, and, and that is our real goal is to eliminate the flip-flop from this planet. <laughs> the flip-flop <laughs> is an evil, horrible thing. And, and, and the other thing we have is uh, most sandals are just like hard or relatively inflexible slabs that you strap your foot to. So we have a no flip-flops and no slabs policy in, in our company. And we want to... Um, we want to take down those kinds of products, or not that we want to take them down, but we want to provide a an option for people 
that would normally buy those kind of products and give them something that allows them to move their feet naturally, that allows them to feel the ground, that allows them to experience sensations, that allows them to um, get a product that actually lasts, that doesn't cost an arm and a leg and a foot and an ankle and all the other parts connected to it. So um, I, I can't say the specifics of, of what that is, unfortunately. Um, uh, I don't like doing that. And we're also, we've been, well, uh, I'll tell you a quick fun story. We're also developing something for cold weather. We're actually going to be announcing a, a nice little joint venture thing in a week or so with, with a, a company that will um, provide some, some um, uh, benefits for people who are dealing with cold weather. But we've been working on a cold weather product for a while. And, and here's the, the fun story, the advantage of having Dennis working for us. We, we were dumbstruck why it was taking so long to get this product made, and every time we saw we got a prototype back from the factory, um, it was a Chinese factory, and it just wasn't getting any better. So I said to our sales rep, have them make a video showing what's going on, because I'm willing to bet that between Dennis and me, we'll be able to see instantly what the problem is. So they make a video. The manager of the company is holding the video camera and talking to the person who is doing the manufacturing of the product. And without missing a beat, I look at it for one second, and I say to Dennis, that's the wrong equipment. I mean, I don't even know from manufacturing, but I know that's the wrong equipment, and I'm sure there's a piece of equipment that looks kind of like this that I'm sure is available um, and they just don't have. And Dennis says, well, you're, you're absolutely right on both counts, and I even know the factory that has that kind of equipment. But here's where it gets fun. <laughs> the sales rep never communicated there was a problem. He, what he said to us was, well, they're still working on it, and they're, they're really convinced they can, they can solve it. Meanwhile, <laughs> on the video, the manager is speaking to the person in Chinese. He's speaking to the person who's doing, trying to do the manufacturing. Dennis's wife is Chinese. So we give her the video, <laughs> and she translates. And the manager the whole time is saying, I don't know why they keep asking us to do this. We can't do that with this equipment. We have the wrong equipment. We can't do this. <laughs> so we immediately figured that out, moved to a different manufacturer. They're doing some incredible work, and we hope to have something uh, in, in, within the next couple of months that will, that will be available that will uh, be a, a great winter product that has other possibilities as well that we're very excited about. Well, that would be much appreciated because it was six degrees up here this morning. So, <laughs> well, if you haven't seen the video of me out shoveling snow in 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 minus five or whatever, actually it was 15 degrees that day. Um, but but the, the, here's let me get, do the quick talk about cold. Um, it, cold is not a big deal. It's it's very doable in a couple of different ways. I'm not suggesting anyone do this. I'm just saying it's possible. That's my legal disclaimer. Thing number one is your feet will adapt over time. Um, if you keep wearing sandals as the seasons change, you'll find that you're able to go longer and longer into the cold season without a problem. Uh, I, my first winter when I decided just to see how long I could go till I wanted to wear shoes, next thing I knew it was spring. And I wasn't trying. I wasn't putting out a lot of effort. It just happened that way. The second thing is you can just add a pair of oversized wool socks or... I'll drop the hint, um, a pair of toe socks. We're working with a company. We're, we're going to have some of those available soon. Um, the third option is that, um, that, pardon me one sec, the third option is that you can just change the way you deal with um, being outside. And the way I did it when I was shoveling snow is I went out for 10 minutes, and by then my feet were freezing, so I came back inside, and I stayed in long enough for them to warm up, which took about five minutes. I went back out. After about 10 minutes, my feet were really cold again, so I came back inside, and it was only three minutes till they were warm. So then I uh, went back outside, and um, 10 minutes later, my feet were still cold. 
And so I came, or got cold again, so I came back, and two minutes later, I felt warm. And by the time I went out for like the third or fourth time, my body temperature had kicked up, and um, I was out for the next hour and a half without a problem. So the way this works for running is don't think about going for a 10-mile run. Think about getting warmed up indoors as much as you can, and go out for a little loop, half a mile, mile, tops, Come back indoors or find somewhere indoors along your way. Go inside and run up and down stairs or just do whatever you want till you warm up. Go out and do another loop. Come back inside, warm up, and repeat. So if you think about just being willing to not be so attached to, I go for a 10-mile run, you can, you can probably go a lot farther than you thought by doing the warm-cold, warm warm-cold thing. So that's, that's my instruction for cold. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you yeah. sharing that. Pleasure. Stephen, this is Claudia again. Yep. Hey, Claudia. Um, I have Raynaud syndrome. Do you know what that is? Uh, numbness? Uh, n- no. Uh, my my toes, when I get around, I don't know when it happens, oh. but when you get really cold, then I get sores on them, right. Like, right. like where blisters would go or something. They get really cold, then they turn black. They never ooze or anything, but it's a nerve pain kind of thing. And so it's the cold that, that does it. Right, right, right. Um, because I can't really go out and even walk right now, um, what would you just kind of recommend for me? <laughs> uh, keep your feet warm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah again, you're, deal- you're dealing with an actual condition. Um, so uh, you know, even if you have to get the, those, little, those little chemical hand warmers and throw them in a pair of socks with your feet, do, do, just do whatever you need to do to stay warm and not <laughs> aggravate that. No, I, I was thinking. Well, maybe the maybe the really really thick thick socks and try tie them on like that. Um, that would that would help. Yeah, and then the other question is, is: I got a pair of contacts that I haven't ever I haven't worked with them at all. They were so heavy compared with Connects that I went like, ugh. But I think that I'll probably like them eventually. But I have arthritis. Are they really hard to cut? How do I cut them? Um, no, they're they're. I mean, they're a little harder than, than the the uh, connect just because they're 50% thicker. But um, we cut them regularly with a pair of kitchen scissors, good pair of kitchen scissors. Um, okay. The key is the key is just t- is little cuts, just you know, w- working with the back part of the scissors where you have more leverage. And then um, if that cut comes out kind of um, jagged, then flip the sole over to to clear, to um, trim the little the little corners off. Okay. All right. So Not that much more difficult, though. Yeah. Okay. It's a you know little a little more, but we do it here all the time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, let's we'll start leaning towards wrapping things up since we've been here for way longer than I expected. Not that I have a problem with it. I love it, but I know this is not what people imagined. Um, so before we call it an afternoon or evening, depending on where you are, since I know we have some Europeans here, um, anybody else with anything pressing? Steve, it's Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Um, will you have these in the future? I I realize that this is, you know, I mean, this is probably a way that at least those of us who are on the call right now are getting information that we can't get unless we come and sit in your living room or something like that. Um, so, you know, even something like uh, a once-monthly call or something like that, for, for me, a, would be a great help, I think. It, I don't it, know about others. It's a, it's a great idea, and um, I, I will let you into my psychology. I have a very difficult time scheduling things on a repeating basis because my life gets wacky, and I hate unscheduling, and I, um, especially just lately, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing. And for example, 
uh, if I had scheduled something for the third Saturday of every month, then in January, that third Saturday, I've got to be at a trade show, and I didn't know about it until recently. Um, so um, uh, for, because of probably irrational thoughts like that, I tend not to, not to uh, um, schedule things like that. But um, that's really no reason to do it for a, list of, uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which being that I don't have to be the one who's doing this call. We have other people here at the office who have uh, as much experience as I do, or certainly different experiences. Our, our customer service manager, Bill Babcock, whom I know some of you have, have spoken with and dealt with, um, Bill has some insights into running and barefoot running and, and our shoes that I don't have because I'm a sprinter and Bill's an ultra runner. Bill puts in 90 miles a week uh, minimum uh, in, in his shoes or barefoot. So if I'm not going to be around, although at the trade show, Bill's going to be at the trade show too. But suffice it to say, um, I think it's a great idea, and if I have to reschedule one every now and then because I'm going to be out of town, there are worse things to do than, than that. So um, because you asked and because you're right, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll put this on the books and, and, and add that to the website as a thing. Appreciate it very much. No, I, my, my pleasure, and, and thanks for um, being the, the last straw, as it were. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> cool. Anybody else? Anything else? Or we can call it a day. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be going outside and enjoying the fact that it's 67 degrees right now on December 1st in Boulder, Colorado. Whoa. That's crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Well, my pleasure. In fact, wait, hold on. I have to tell you what I'm going to be doing in 67 degrees because I'm at the office. Um, I'm going to be walking across the parking lot. It's about 150 yards barefoot to go and get a gourmet donut at the new gourmet donut shop on the other side of our parking lot. So if you're know. ever in Boulder and, ca and care to visit, just keep in mind that, you know, that's here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that when I picked up my shoes yesterday. Ha had you known, we would have pointed you there. They're there open every, every day but Tuesday uh, from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And they often sell out by about noon or 1. Just FYI. <laughs> well, all right, let's wrap this up. Um, first of all, thank you all again. As I said, this is just one of my favorite things. and You guys all had some, some wonderful questions. That um, It's helpful for me to, to refine the way I'm thinking about these things. And I know I get a bit verbose. Um, I do have a fantasy of finding the perfect answer in less than three sentences. But um, I know it's also just a fantasy and not the way my brain works. <laughs> so it's an enjoyable thing to entertain. I just know it's not realistic. Suffice it to say, um, uh, this is to the extent that you may have found this helpful, it's just as much, if not more, helpful for me. And I really do appreciate um, all the feedback and, and, and um, everything that you brought to the call. So if by chance you do have something you didn't get to ask here, uh, feel free to drop me an email, post it on the forum, throw it in as a comment somewhere, give me a call. And all of those are viable options. Uh, we're we're here to be helpful to the extent that we can, and um, and if if we don't have an answer, we will find one and track one down. So once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, don't forget uh, our anniversary sale. It was our third anniversary a week ago. Our anniversary sale ends tomorrow night. So if there's anything last minute thing that you want to pick up, um, great. If you just want to let people know that we're having that 20% off sale through to midnight tomorrow night, pass on the word and um, have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Claudia? Yes. Hey, um, this is Sue from California. I, I yes. didn't know very well what you're talking about, the Raynoid syndrome. And um, my brother's a runner, and he has it, and he uses neoprene booties. It's been a big help to him. 
Oh, okay. Maybe try that. And, and regarding the, um, your our 